0: Okay, uh, please turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter one. We're finishing the chapter today. We're going to be looking at verses twenty through thirty-three. If you don't have the Bible with you, it's uh, page five twenty-seven, and the Bibles provided there in the chairs. If you don't own a Bible, we want to give you a Bible, and so over at the welcome table, we've got Bibles there that are just for you. Those are our gifts to you. Please take one on your way out. Now, if you happen to be joining us. Uh, For the first time, or maybe it's been a while since you've been with us, we are in week three of uh, a new series on the book of Proverbs, and we're studying the book of Proverbs because we want to learn this way of wisdom that God has placed before us. We do not want to live as fools, and we want to learn this way of wisdom because, and this might surprise you, wisdom is not optional. Wisdom is essential for life with God. Wisdom is a matter of life and death. Now, this kind of comes to us, uh, as, uh, to us as a surprise because, you know, in our complacent, freedom loving, have it your way culture, we tend to treat wisdom as optional or as voluntary. You can take it or you can leave it as much or little as you want, right? We treat wisdom like advanced studies, you know, an advanced degree. If I go back to school, I can hopefully get a better job and I can thus improve my standard of living. I can improve my life. We, we treat wisdom like an upgrade to our RAM on our computer to impor, improve the overall performance, right? We, we don't need it. We can totally live without it, but it's kind of nice to have. We treat wisdom like sugar in our coffee or salt on our steak. It's totally unnecessary, but it accents, you know, my own personal taste, the own flavors of my life. And so, though I can live without it completely, my life is a little better for it. It's preferable, but it is optional. Now, the book of Proverbs and all of Scripture, for that matter, tells us the exact opposite tells us that wisdom is not optional. Because at its core, Christ is not optional. Christ, the very embodiment of the wisdom of God, is not optional. Wisdom leads us to eternal life. And so, by contrast, simplicity, complacency, ignorance, and folly, that leads us to eternal death. And our passage this morning... Wisdom is displayed as this Woman, And she's standing out in the streets, in the marketplaces, in the center of life. And she's calling us all to listen to her voice, to heed her wisdom, to accept her counsel. She's warning us against the dangers of continuing down the path of ignorance and complacency and folly. She's calling us to hear her voice and to receive her counsel, to turn away from foolishness and to receive her offer of true life. Wisdom is standing there in the midst of everyday decisions and everyday intersections of our lives, and she presents us with a choice. Will you persist in? Will you turn to the path of folly? Or will you follow the way of wisdom? That's the choice that's before us this morning. So if I could simplify that into one cohesive statement... I would say that wisdom calls us to turn away from folly to receive eternal life. Wisdom calls us away from folly to receive eternal life. And so please read along with me Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33. It says, Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the markets, she raises her voices. At the head uh, of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, I've stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all of my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me and I will not answer. They will seek me diligently but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge, and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way, and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure, and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Now, in this passage, we see that wisdom calls, wisdom warns, and wisdom offers us a choice. And so first, let's look at wisdom's call presented there in verses 20 through 23. Now, in the overall context of the book of Proverbs, we're moving away from the first main character that we've seen, this father who's imparting his fatherly wisdom, guy that we saw in verses 1 through 19. We're turning our attention away from that main character. And now we're placing it on a second main character. Who is this Lady Wisdom. Right? She appears here in this passage. And we'll also see her again in chapters 8 and 9. And in this section, she is is personified and pictured as this woman who's crying out in the middle of the public square. She is warning and crying out to the simple and to the scoffers and to the fools, to repentance and faith. She's calling everyone everywhere to repent and believe so that they might receive her spirit and might have her words in their hearts. Now, I don't know about you, but when I come to this passage, the first question that I, that I always ask is, why? Why is wisdom personified as a woman? Especially in light of verse 23. I mean, it says, I will, I will pour out my spirit to you and you, my words will be known to you. Well, if you think about that from a biblical context, that sounds a lot like the voice of God. So why is wisdom portrayed as a woman? You ever wondered that? Well, there's a couple options. The first one is is that well, wisdom, that word wisdom in Hebrew, it's, it's a feminine noun, okay? Chokmah is a feminine noun. And so probably what happened is very early on, as the Semitic language was being developed, these people who were developing the language, they all sat down and began to think of themselves. They came up with this idea, this notion of wisdom, and they said, you know what? We're going to make this word feminine because women naturally have more skill, aptitude, awareness, and common sense than men, right? They more naturally have skill in godly living, now, that's the Bernstein-Bears theory. Some of you are like, I totally get that. And others are like, what? All right, that's an inside joke. All right, ask Phyllis about it later. Um, so that's one option. But I think a better one comes from the context of what we've already seen. Last week, we saw that wisdom is Beautiful. And here we have this father figure in verse 8, and he wants his son to see wisdom as beautiful. And he wants his son to know her intimately, to know her as a man knows his wife relationally, personally, gloriously, intimately. His father wants his son to find her attractive. He wants his son to love wisdom, to cherish wisdom, to delight in wisdom. And so he portrays her as a beautiful woman who's calling out for him to listen. I think that's more of what's going on. Now this beautiful lady, Wisdom... She must have the lungs of an opera singer because look at what it says there in verses 20 and 21. It says, she cries aloud in the streets, in the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of noisy streets, she cries out and at the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. Now that word there cries aloud is a ringing cry. It is a splitting, piercing, glass breaking kind of cry. One definition said, to emit a tremulous and stridulous sound like the sound of a torrent, a violent storm. Has anyone ever heard what a tornado sounds like? She cries out over the top of the noise of these turbulent city streets. And the point that he's trying to make here is that wisdom is calling out over All of the noise, all of the chaos, all of the distractions, all of the things that would detour our thoughts. She's calling out over the top of it all and we can hear her voice. Through the midst of all of the chaos and craziness of life, her voice still penetrates through it all. It still can be heard. No matter the commotion that you find in your life, wisdom is calling and you can hear her. Look at where she is. Wisdom is not found in quiet, secret seclusion, or at least not only found in quiet, secret seclusion. She's not only heard whispering on the mountaintops or in cloisters or in a still small voice in the study or in the sanctuary. Where do we see her? She's out there in the streets. She's in the marketplace. She's at the head of noisy streets, at the entrance of city gates. Where she's at? She's at the crossroads of culture. She's where business and government and education and arts and athletics and every aspect of life is meeting, right there, coming together. She's in the midst of public everyday life. She's standing in the middle of the busiest intersections. She's where the people are. We see wisdom at the office. Wisdom is on the quad. Wisdom is standing in the middle of all the busiest streets. She's at the mall. She's at the stadium. She's even standing in your own living room, in the middle of all of your mess, and she is speaking wisdom for everyday life. As I was studying this passage, you know, there was an image that came to mind, and it was that of the alma mater statue. I mean, there she is, at the corner of right and green, one of the busiest intersections in town. She's holding out her arms for you to hear her voice. Thousands and thousands of people walk by or drive by her every single day. She's there right next to learning and labor with arms outstretched, welcoming you to hear her voice. And I think that it's ironic that there's even a quote from Proverbs on the granite base on the right side. Have you guys ever seen that before? Proverbs 31, 28, her children shall rise up and call her blessed. And that is a fitting picture that we have right there on our campus of the Lady Wisdom. And so let that image come to mind as you read through the book of Proverbs. Again, I'd encourage you to take up the challenge that we're all doing as a church where we read through a chapter of Proverbs every single day as it corresponds to today's date. And so go home today, read Proverbs chapter 21 and and let that continue. I mean, there's only 30 days this month, so make sure that you read 31. But do that, and you'll read through Proverbs a number of times. But as you do, we have alongside that image of a father imparting wisdom to his children, we now have that image of Alma Mater holding out her hands to us, calling us to heed her wisdom, okay? And also, conversely, when you see Alma you're passing by her on your way to campus, or you're driving down a Green Street to get a bite to eat or something like that, let her remind you not to get so caught up in life that you neglect to hear wisdom's voice. Because right in the middle of all of the madness and noise and competition for your attention, stand, she stands up and her voice rings out, cutting through it all. Wisdom is speaking to all people right where they are, right where they live, right where they work, right where they go throughout their day and right where they need her the most. This is for everyday life. Now, the image of a woman standing out from the street corner, you know, shouting and declaring, it doesn't seem very ladylike, does it? I mean, especially when we think about Solomon's day and age. And so why is the beautiful lady wisdom crying out at the city center? I mean, why is she out there shouting like a street preacher in the public square? I mean, what we've already established, she's there, right? She's speaking her message is available there. And she has an audience that are, is passing her by, and it's open. Her message is open for all to hear and all to respond to. But the problem is, her audience is not there to hear her. They're not there to listen to her voice, they're too busy with all of life's daily activities. They're there to do business. They're there to learn. They're there to buy in the marketplaces. They're there to scurry from one event to the next in their lives. They're just too busy. They don't have time for what she has to say. And so she's shouting out to get their attention. You guys ever have that problem in your own daily life? You guys just open all the time to hear God's wisdom in every moment of every day? You're never distracted, never caught off guard? Never focused on things that you actually miss out on what it means to love and know and follow Christ? Anybody? They don't have time for what she has to say. She's shouting to get their attention. But here's the reality. Most aren't in the mood or much le- to hear, much less obey what she has to say. I mean, look at verse 22. It says, how long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? I mean, there's her audience right there. This is who she's speaking to. She's dealing with the simple, the scoffer, and the fool. Now, each of these three categories are on the path of folly. And they're at different places along that path. There are different places of receptivity to hear what she has to say. Some are more open to stopping to listen, but others just want to shout insults at her as they pass by. And so I want us to understand who these folks are, and I also want to throw in two other categories that are mentioned throughout the book of Proverbs. These are all of the, the fools that we see. Within the book of Proverbs, so that we can compare them to one another, and I actually have a slide up here to kind of show what this path of folly looks like and where they're at there. And this I got this from John Kitchen's commentary. I thought it was really, really helpful and I hope profitable for you. First of all, there's the simple or the naive. This person just doesn't know. They don't know any better, they don't know any different. They're gullible, they're simple-minded, they're easily persuaded. They're inexperienced and generally thoughtless towards others. The simple, this guy is irresponsible. He's noncommittal. Doesn't want to commit to anything. He's immature and he doesn't really know what he's living for. Now, here's the reality. We all start right there. That's our beginning point. Every one of us is on this trajectory and we start there. Notice that wisdom is outside and she is calling to us and she's calling us to hear her voice and to change the course of action as a result to it. So what that means is left to ourselves, undirected and unrestrained, we will not arrive at wisdom. Guys, this is very, very important for you to get. You cannot continue down the same pattern and expect different results, right? That's insanity, You can't live as one who is simple and think that you're just suddenly going to wake up wise. It's not going to happen. Instead, we will move downward to the second category, the fool. Now, this first fool, he's thick-headed and stubborn. He's not stupid. It's not like he's just dull in thinking. He's just dull towards sin. He refuses to learn. He, He thinks that he always knows better, and he likes to hear himself talk. He always has an excuse, and and nothing is ever his fault. He's unrepentant in his sin. Now, this guy, this fool is the one that's most commonly mentioned in Proverbs. So when you read the word fool, more than likely it's talking to this guy, okay? But there's another fool. Where the last fool was stubborn, this fool is hardened in his sin. He is morally insolent. He rejects counsel and mocks at the idea that he has sinned. He's not only dull towards his sin like the other guy. This one actually delights in his folly. He wants to sin. He enjoys sin. That's who he is. This is the guy that we saw in chapter 1 verse 8 that hates wisdom and instruction. Now, the fourth guy on our path of folly is Nabal. Now, you might recognize that name, him alongside his wife, Abigail. We can read about them in 1 Samuel 25. This guy has all of the characteristics of the fool, but yet he goes even further. Because this guy has closed his mind completely to God, even rejecting him outright, denying God's existence altogether. This guy is completely godless. All right, this is sort of the atheist, or at least the functional atheist, living as if there is no God. Now, the deepest level of folly's descent in Proverbs is that of the scoffer. We see him below. He is a confirmed rebel to God. This guy gets aggressive if you try to appeal to wisdom. He mocks God. He hates God. He mocks at the very idea and the notion of God. He laughs at God. This... He is arrogantly independent and calculating. He strives to undermine wisdom and recruit followers away from God. Have you ever met these guys? Maybe you've had them as college professors. If you've seen that movie, God Is Not Dead, that, that professor right there is a perfect example of a scoffer, of a mocker, someone who, who gets militant and rejects, you know, just hates you and, and lashes out at you if you mention the name of God. And they're all over campus and they're all over town, they're everywhere. Now, I'd imagine that if I were to go around and I would talk to every one of you, none of you would consider yourself to be fools. No one would raise their hand and say, "I'm a fool. I'm, I'm right there, right there. That's where I am." Nobody would say that. But if you look at more of the characteristics, more as the way that I've just described them, you you kind of see. You know what? That's more of me than I care to admit. I'm a lot further down that path of folly than maybe I realized. There are points in my life where I see that, boy, I'm actually hardened towards God. Or, or maybe just functionally in my life, there are ways where I'm just like, this area of my life is completely closed off to God. We realize that we're, we're a lot more on that list than we care to imagine. So this is the progression that we see of the path of folly throughout the book of Proverbs. It goes from the simple and naive to the stubborn fool, from the fool to harden that hardens his heart to Nabal who's close to God, and then finally the scoffer who's a confirmed and militant rebel to God. If you ever talk to unbelievers, or you ever talk to somebody down here in the scoffer category and just kind of hear their life story, you will see them take that trajectory. You'll hear it in, in their testimony. And apart from listening to wisdom's voice, we will head down that path like a ball on an incline. No one is innocent here. No one is neutral. You can't think that you can just put the parking brake on. It's simple and be okay. It doesn't work like that. Why? Well, look there at verse twenty-two. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? She's asking, how long will you remain in your ways? How long will you love being simple and delight in scoffing? The problem is not ignorance. The problem is not that I just don't have enough information in my head to make good choices. And if I just had the right situations and the right context to put that in my head, I would then be able to make more informed decisions. Because it's not a knowledge problem, it's a heart problem. The problem is that they love what they're doing, that they delight in their ways. They are content in their thoughts towards God, and apart from wisdom calling them to do something different, their love for folly and their hatred towards wisdom will only increase. You see, there is no middle ground. There is no third way, no middle way. There are not many ways. There are only two ways. You will either grow in love for wisdom, or you will grow in your hatred of it. And in every point in time, you are moving in one of those directions. And this is why wisdom's call to all of us, to the simple, the fools, the scoffers, begins with a call to repent. Verse 23 if you turn at my reproof, that word turn there, that means to repent to hate and reject sin, to hate our folly because it is displeasing to God. To turn, we must hear wisdom's voice. We must acknowledge the truth and the error of our ways. It means to admit that we are wrong and to seek God's wisdom, to seek God's help in moving toward God. To turn at her reproof is to follow the way of wisdom. And again, I've got another trajectory here for you, another another picture. So, young, would you mind Thank you. Here's the way of wisdom. Opposite direction. We've already seen these terms in verses 1 through 19. Okay? After we have heard wisdom's voice and have have acknowledged the truth, after we've confessed our sin to God and confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives, we first receive God's discipline and God's instruction. This is primarily practical and external. All right? We're willing to make... External corrections to our lives and to receive God's loving chastisement for our sin. We make a change in course. We stop doing things that would lead us down the path of folly. And we start doing things that would lead us up the way of wisdom. Things that would help us to know and love God. But if that's all that we do. And friends, so many times we're tempted just to stop right there. If that's all that we do. A person can't really learn fully from those lessons. It only produces a religious legalism, which is why we have to move up the way of wisdom. And so the second category on the path is discernment. This discerning person learns from the external lessons being taught and grows in his or her ability to see the distinctions between right and wrong. Between wisdom and folly, between truth and falsehood, between the way of God and the way of the tempter, especially in those areas of life that we would consider to be gray. Right? We've all got those areas where we just don't really know what to do, right? But discernment allows us to know God's ways even in the midst of that. This is a God given ability to discern. Uh, and learn God's ways and God's heart on those matters. Next, there's understanding as we continue to move up the way of wisdom. Understanding builds off of discernment in that it not only identifies the distinctions, but this person who has understanding is able to comprehend why God's ways are the way they are. Why does God call me to do this? Why is this the right thing to do? Not only do I see that this is what God wants and that this is right and that is wrong, but now I know why. I understand why God would have us head in that direction. They know the why behind the what, and they are able then to develop a course of action to arrive at success. They have the God-given ability to use God's revealed truth to deduce the wisest and most efficient course in achieving his will in any given situation. But we're not done yet, because to understanding, Proverbs adds prudence. And this is the God-given shrewdness or craftiness that understands trends of events and inherent dangers Right? It's able to kind of project forward to see where things would go and then to develop a, a plan to navigate through the challenges of life all the while doing God's will and avoiding pitfalls of folly and sin. So This is forward thinking. This is craftiness. This is learning to say no to sin and what that looks like and being able to develop a course of action to help me to navigate through all the challenges of life. And then finally... All of that builds up to a knowledge of God. And when Proverbs speaks of knowledge, it's never merely intellectual. It's not just ideas. It's not just verbal professions. It's not just ascribing to certain truths about God. It is deeply personal and relational. When we think about knowledge, we have to think about relationship. It is seeing and loving God for who he truly is and who we are and what we have become in light of him. It is a deep, right, and reverent relationship with God. Now, there is overlap in these terms. I don't want you to look at these as stepping stones. Like, first, I must master external discipline. And then, I will arrive at discernment. And then, because these things are happening like simultaneously, but we can clearly see the trajectory that they head to, knowledge and love for God. This is what happens when we turn away from ourselves and our foolish attempts to live lives on our own terms as if this is my world and I'm God. This is what happens when we stop playing God and seek to live in a right relationship with the one and only true and living God who created the universe. And friends, if we're honest with ourselves and we, we examine, doesn't that sound better? Doesn't the way of wisdom sound better than the path of folly? But that journey up the way of wisdom, it's important to note, is not dependent upon us or our abilities or our intellect, our morality or our wise choices. Because look at verse 23. She says, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Here we see that wisdom is offering herself completely to us so that we might know and love God. Now, it is impossible to read this in li- without reading it in light of the entire story of redemption, without reading the entire biblical history and taking all of that into account We know that God not only makes his words of wisdom available to us externally through his words so that we can read them. But as we repent of our sins and we believe in Christ, the very wisdom of God is the hope of our eternal life. That God actually pours out his spirit within each and every heart. We have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us. And it says this throughout the Bible. For example... Isaiah 32, Isaiah 44, Ezekiel 39, Joel 2, uh, Zechariah 12, Acts 2, Acts 10, and Romans 5. So many good truths to say, to help us to see that when he speaks of pouring out the Spirit, he's talking about the Holy Spirit being poured out into the lives of his people so that they might know him and love him and follow him. But not only that, God writes his word, his law upon our hearts And this is the work of the Holy Spirit within us that will guide us away from the path of folly and up the way of wisdom. And this path we can actually take. This is actually possible because not of anything that we do in and of ourselves, but because God is at work in us. So praise the Lord for that. I mean, what an amazing offer, what assurance that wisdom offers us, that we can actually change and that that change is not dependent upon us. It's not up to my wisdom to be able to follow the way of wisdom. It's not up to my intellect. It's not up to my willpower. This is what the God is doing in us. And so I don't have to keep continuing down that same path, trying the same futile attempts and landing at the same hopeless results. We can turn at wisdom's reproof. And if we turn, the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon us and we will come to know God's words. Friends, you may not be wise enough. And in fact, you aren't, but he is. You may not be strong enough. And in fact, you are not, but he is. You may be out of ideas, but he is the spirit of truth, the spirit of Christ, the very word and wisdom of God. And that offer, that promise, that hope is available to you through wisdom's call. But to receive it, you must turn. To repent of your sin and to receive God's wisdom. So that's our first and longest point as usual. Wisdom's call. Unfortunately, not everyone will listen. Which is why second, wisdom warns. And we don't like to be warned. No one likes to be called out. No one likes to be told that what they're doing is wrong. No one likes a reproof. No one likes a rebuke. But friends, these warnings are blessings to us. I mean, if you're driving down the road and there's a sign that says bridge out ahead, that's a good thing. That's a sign we want to see. That's a warning that we have for our good. Yeah, it's inconvenient to have to turn around and find a different way. But that's a whole lot better than driving off that broken bridge into an icy river. Am I right? Warnings are a blessing to us. And so in verses 24 through 31, wisdom warns us of the evidence of hard-heartedness that exists even with our own hearts. And also the consequences of rejecting her call. So look there at verses 24 and 25. It says, because I have called and you refuse to listen, I've stretched out my hand and no one is heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. And so wisdom, she's out there in the road and she's pleading with us to stop. She is holding out her arms, waving us down, trying to get us just to stop what we're doing. But, But look at what she says that we have all done. Are that you there? Plural, you all look at what you've done. We refuse to listen. We have not heeded. We've ignored her counsel. We would have none of her reproof. Here's the reality, guys. For, to one degree or another, we've all done this. We've all ignored wisdom. Some of us may be more than others, but all of us are guilty. Every single one of us in this room. Do you recognize that you have rejected God's wisdom? I mean, do you agree with her that you have failed to listen to her and to heed her ways? Have you accepted, truly accepted the fact that you have rejected this counsel and reproof from God that is justly and rightly given? Do you see it as just? Do you see it as right? His acknowledgement is a necessary first step towards repentance, If we can't acknowledge who we truly are before the Lord, then we truly don't understand our need of repentance and faith. We don't understand our need of salvation. Therefore, we are without hope. What she's saying here is true of all of us. Skip down there to verse 29 and 30. Here, notice that she switches from the second person plural, you, to the third person plural, they. It says, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproofs. Now, this sounds very similar to what she has just said to all of us in verses 24 and 25. And so why the change of pronoun? Why would she go from you to now they? Well, it's because these folks that she's speaking of, don't include you up to this point. You still have time to respond. They do not. It says they were set in their path of folly. They hated knowledge, they despised her reproof. They did not choose the fear of the Lord. They harden their hearts against her. And so Lady Wisdom is warning us, listen, you still have time. Do not harden your hearts the way that they did. Though you have all ignored and rejected me to one level, I beg you, do not continue down that path. Do not close yourself off to God and hate wisdom. Do not despise him and continue to rebel against him. And she warns us, of our own hard-heartedness, so that we would not experience the consequences of our folly. Look at verses 26 through 28. Here's what will happen if we continue to ignore wisdom's call. She says, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me and I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Now you've heard that phrase, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Well, in light of this passage, we might adapt it to be hell is the fury of the woman wisdom scorned. Those who have mocked and laughed at God will find it being returned upon them. God will get the last laugh. Now, we know that God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked and he would have them turn from their evil ways. But God does delight when his justice is upheld. God does delight when he vindicates his holy name. God does rejoice when salvation is revealed. His glory is revealed in salvation through judgment. This is exactly what we saw happening in in Psalm chapter 2. Though the nations rage and they plot against God in vain, God sits in the heavens and he laughs. says that he holds them in derision and terrifies them with his fury. And how does he terrify them in his fury? He tells them of his one and only begotten son and of how he will reign over the ends of the earth, including them. And they hate him for it. They tremble at him because of it. But even in that, God tells them, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all of those who take refuge in him. God delights when his justice is upheld. He will rejoice When at last all come face to face with the rule of his son. And all of those who are in Christ, all of us who are in Christ, we will laugh with him. We get this even on a human scale, right? We rejoice and we delight when justice is upheld. Though we felt pity and compassion and even a level of remorse at the deaths of Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden, we rejoiced that their terrible rule was at an end. Whereas Proverbs 11, verse 10 says, When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. But when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. And so it will be with all of those who laugh and mock at God. And that's comforting, folks. That's comforting when you're sitting in your classroom and your professor's going off on the notion of God. That's comforting when you're sitting in your office and one of your coworkers gets just belligerent when you bring up the name of Jesus. Not because we wish ill for this person, but we know that God's name will be vindicated. And we can rejoice in that. It gives us confidence to persevere. Now, Lady Wisdom warns us of the sudden terror that will come upon all of those who reject God. She uses the imagery of a storm. It will strike you like a storm, and calamity will come like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you. I mean, has anyone been caught in a really bad storm, like a tornado, or flood, or a hurricane? Well, no, but I watched Twister. Okay, well, that's an idea, right? It gives you an idea. I mean, one minute everything is fine and the next you are shivering in the corner of your basement and you are terrified that it is going to take the house and you with it. But no one's going to escape from this storm. And it will bring terror, distress, and anguish upon all who are in its path. In a last-ditch effort... They will, as it says there in verse 28, call upon the Lord, but he will not answer. They will seek him diligently, but will not find him. Now, they're calling out to God. They're seeking for wisdom in this last desperate attempt to gain favor, but it's too late. Because, and the reason why it's too late is because they don't truly love God. They don't truly desire wisdom. They don't truly fear him. They have no desire to trust in him or to follow after him. This is just, they're crying out only in a final desperate effort to save their own lives. But it will be too late for them. They will face eternal anguish under the wrath of God. Verse 31 says that they shall eat the fruit of their own way and have their fill of their own devices. I want you to think about your life for a minute. Think about your pursuits, your devices, your ways apart from the mercy and grace of God. Just for a minute. Think about your pursuits. Think about what you attempt to find joy in and what you, what you delight in and what, you, what you're doing every day to kind of seek those things out. Are you really willing to stand upon your own wisdom there? Stand before the Lord based upon what you think is right or what you think is acceptable or what you think is okay. Are you really willing to accept the consequences of the path that you are on? Or are you just presuming upon God's grace? How are you prone to sin against God? I mean, do you really want to eat the fruit of that way Or have the fill of those foolish devices. Obedience is a real issue, guys. You're not saved by your obedience, but it is a real issue. And if this is God's word, and he is who he says he is, then nothing could be more important than honestly and urgently dealing with those questions. The eternal state of your soul and that of all mankind, including all of your loved ones, is on the line. But friends, praise God for this warning. You have time to respond. The sirens are going off, but the storm has not yet descended. There is time for you to turn, but you must heed this warning. Now wisdom has called to us, she's warned us, and now we're left at a crossroads. And in verses 32 and 33, wisdom speaks again to us a third time. And in this she offers us a choice. Now once again, we are left with only two options. That we cannot pretend. Like we can go through life independent of this reality, that there's some sort of middle or third way. We can just coast in neutral for a while and be okay. We have either the path of folly or the way of wisdom. And again, can I see that up here on the screen? The next slide. Look at this while I read verses 32 and 33. It says, for the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Friends, we cannot remain simple. We cannot remain blind or naive to the ways and the will of God. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is death apathy and indifference towards God will have the same results as those who outright hate him complacency contentment and satisfaction with your current level of folly will be condemned why well because you are on the wrong road you're on the wrong path you're trying to live your life without him as if this is your world and you are God Friends, complacency, when it says the complacency of fool, complacency is counterfeit ease. All right? It is trying to create security and comfort and entertainment and community and disaster-free life on your own terms rather than God's. You may not be outright denying God or scoffing at God, but the Lord of the of all creation will not take a back seat in his universe. Not in any part of it. He is the Lord of all creation. He will not take second place to any other object in his creation. And that includes in your own hearts. He will not give his glory to another. So it doesn't matter whether you are naive or stubborn or hardened or closed to God or a confirmed rebel. The path that you are born on is the path that you will die on unless you are born again to a new path to the way of wisdom. Or as it says there in verse 33, that whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Now, he is not speaking there of earthly security or earthly ease or a disaster-free life, but of the rest and the comfort and the assurance and the peace that comes only through trusting in Christ. Christ. Those who have listened to his voice will stand in the judgment. They will receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus right here and right now. And in the end, they will dwell with him in his presence for all eternity. That's the offer that's taking place here. And so friends, wisdom is crying out in the midst of the busiest and craziest parts of your life. She's there crying out so that you won't ignore her, so that you won't reject her, so that you won't put her off, so that you won't say to yourself, you know what, I've got time. I'll do this later. Just let me live my life right now the way I want to and when I'm old, then I will change. Then I will do something different. Hear the urgency in her voice and heed her warning. There is a choice before you today and every day. Every day, this signpost stands right before you. And every day, every moment of every day, we have a choice in response to that question, the fear of the Lord. You can either not choose the fear of the Lord and take the path of folly and receive the eternal consequences of the fruit of your ways, Or you can, in repentance and and faith, daily submit yourselves to God's truth, that the fear of the Lord may be the beginning of wisdom for you, and you might truly come to know and love God, and not just now, but for all eternity. Not just with your lips, but in your hearts, and with your everyday lives. This is what Proverbs is getting at. This is what Lady Wisdom is calling us to. So, my friends, wisdom calls us to turn away from folly to receive eternal life. And I beg you, hear her call. Heed her warning and choose the fear of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that our eyes would be open to the reality of our sin and our foolishness. God, give us the grace not to pretend like we're fine and not to just presume upon your mercy towards us. Help us to see the the ways that we are living as fools, heading down that path of folly. And God, give us the grace to turn Lord, we thank you for the warning that you've given us in Scripture. We thank you that your wisdom calls out to all of us and is available in and through everyday life, every momentary situation and circumstance to help us to choose the fear of the Lord, to choose to turn away from our sin, and to trust in Christ. So, Lord, I pray that for each of us, that we would see That life with Christ is far better. That we would see Him as beautiful and glorious and would not be content with just an abstract, uh, lips-based profession of faith, but that we would truly come to know and love You, to have a deep and abiding relationship with You. I pray that Your Spirit would be at work, that He would be poured out upon us all, so that we might know your words and they might be hidden in our hearts. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.